everybody, and welcome back to the brand new North Carolina Sports Network and this new look version of the David Glenn Show. Whether you are watching our quickly growing YouTube channel, and please subscribe, it is free if you haven't yet, or you're listening to our podcast right now, thank you for being with us here in late August or maybe early September with college football season officially here and the return of the NFL's regular season just around the corner. As you know, the great state of North Carolina offers something for everyone in the sports world and in so many other ways. As always, we appreciate you spending some time with us this week here on our YouTube channel, the new podcast, and hopefully our new website, ncsportsnetwork.com as well. We will get into some other topics of the week here in the North Carolina sports world and beyond a bit later, including a lot of college football and depending on time, some combination of the NFL and baseball and basketball and even tennis and golf. But today's show is highlighted by another of our one-on-one visits, this time with one of the more prominent fans in our great state, longtime Governor Roy Cooper, who will join us shortly. Roy was an undergrad student at the University of North Carolina in the 1970s, back when legendary coach Dean Smith was in the midst of turning the Tar Heels into one of college basketball's greatest dynasties, and when UNC was in the midst of winning four ACC football championships in a 10-year period as well. Cooper was a law student later at UNC in the early 1980s when guys named Michael Jordan, James Worthy, and Sam Perkins helped Dean Smith to his first NCAA title, And he was there while a young coach named Anson Dorrance was beginning to turn the Tar Heels into a women's soccer dynasty as well. More recently, Cooper has become what Trip Tracy might call a huge caniac, often supporting the NHL's Carolina Hurricanes in person with trips from his governor's mansion here in Raleigh to nearby PNC Arena. Now Cooper governs a state whose wide-ranging sports culture includes teams in the National Football League, National Basketball Association, National Hockey League, Major League Soccer, and the National Women's Soccer League, among many others. The state of North Carolina also is the undisputed home of NASCAR, with almost all of the teams located in the greater Charlotte area, and it regularly hosts high-level golf and tennis tournaments, plus nationally prominent annual events such as the Big Rock Fishing Tournament in Moorhead City, which now distributes almost $6 million in annual prize money. And that's to say nothing of our great college sports and high school sports cultures here in North Carolina. As we settle in with Governor Cooper, one quick reminder, our featured guests this summer and fall also will include legendary UNC basketball coach Roy Williams, former Carolina Panthers stars Julius Peppers and Jake DeLome, Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon and Kane's top players, and many other sports legends, sports figures, and sports fans connected in one way or the other to the great state of North Carolina. We also encourage you to check out our new YouTube channel for our recent interviews with Clemson football coach Dabo Sweeney, a two-time national champion, legendary Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski, the retired five-time NCAA champion with the Blue Devils, Carolina Hurricanes coach Rod Brindamore, National Sportscaster of the Year Ian Eagle from CBS Sports and Turner Sports, NC State legend Chris Corciani, Duke coach Mike Elko, Wake coach Dave Clawson, State coach Dave Doran, UNC football captain Cedric Gray, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, and our throwback or classic interviews as they're labeled with former President Barack Obama, best-selling author John Grisham, former ACC commissioners John Swafford and the late Gene Corrigan, U.S. women's national team star in soccer, Megan Rapino, legendary college football coaches Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz, UNC golf legend Davis Love III, Wake Forest golf legend Webb Simpson, and many, many more. Also, quick thanks to our sponsors as we look forward to Governor Cooper's visit, without whom we would not be here with you today. The North Carolina Pork Council, the foundational partner of the new North Carolina Sports Network. Did you know that the pork industry contributes more than $10 billion per year to our state's economy and supports more than 44,000 jobs? XL Moving and Storage, celebrating their 25th anniversary this year, and as an allied Van Lines agent, They can help you with your moving and storage needs here in North Carolina and beyond. 
The Lawson Insurance Group, where the Lawson brothers and their staff are ready to help you across North Carolina, just as they recently helped me, my family, and my company save seriously thousands of dollars on our various insurance policies, they can help you with your personal and or commercial insurance needs. Jimmy's Bar and King Neptune Restaurant, my personal home away from home right there in Wrightsville Beach. We just visited both places last weekend as part of our tailgate tour. Shout out to Jimmy Galise and his amazing wife, Keaton, for treating us like royalty all weekend. The Original Salt Works, a legendary breakfast and lunch place right there in Wilmington. We ate lunch there Saturday and breakfast there Sunday. Shout out to our good friend Bob Hubbard for his amazing hospitality and ongoing support of our new enterprise. And our friends at Sport Clips, now with more than 70 locations across the great state of North Carolina. As we thank all of them, we also ask you to support us here at this new version of The David Glenn Show by patronizing and supporting our sponsors as often as possible. It is not even a slight exaggeration to say that without them, and in a different way without you, we would not have the honor of sharing this time with you on these new platforms here at The DG Show and the North Carolina Sports Network. Okay, without further ado, on to our featured guest of the week. Roy Cooper gradually has become a very well-known sports fan here in the big-time sports state of North Carolina. His personal Twitter account profile has only the following 10 words. Father and husband, North Carolina's 75th governor, Carolina Hurricanes fan. He was sworn in on January 1st, 2017, and he is now in his seventh year as North Carolina's governor. Sports have been a significant part of his life since he was growing up in Nash County. On occasion, he has used his various offices to advocate for East Carolina's membership in the Big 12 Conference, or more recently for an NCAA eligibility issue of a UNC football player. But he also has actually competed in basketball against UNC legend Phil Ford long ago, and much more recently, he has become a passionate fan of the National Hockey League's Carolina Hurricanes, who, of course, play at PNC Arena right here in Raleigh, not too far from the governor's residence. Governor Cooper, welcome back to the David Glenn Show, and welcome to the brand new North Carolina Sports Network. How are you? I'm doing great, David. It is so special to be with the great David Glenn with your <laughs> three decades plus of North Carolina sports knowledge. I'm so glad to, to, to get a few minutes with you today. Well, thank you. Let's let's go all the way back to your early years first, and then we'll fast forward. How were sports on your radar as a participant or as a spectator back when you were growing up in Nash County? A fanatic, both as a participant and a spectator. I uh, played baseball, basketball, football growing up. It was the kind of basketball playing where we pounded the grass in my backyard goal, but we had a hard time getting to 10 feet. You know, sometimes it would be 10 feet, one inch. Sometimes it would be nine, you know, but we pounded a giant, giant, hard dirt. Mom knew that, that we were just going to continue to play basketball. We played football in open fields. We would choose up in the neighborhood. We had little league baseball, which I, which I deeply loved. You know, I wish growing up I'd had hockey, didn't know anything about hockey, then played at high school football and basketball uh, at Northern Nash High School. I went into a batting slump in the eighth grade and never pulled out. So, <laughs> so I just I ended up just foregoing baseball and did more track running the two mile to to stay in shape between football and basketball. As for watching it, oh, my gosh. You know, the greatest sporting event in my youth was the ACC tournament. Uh, that Friday when we had the, the eight-team conference, that Friday when all four teams played two in the afternoon and two at night, I always thought was the greatest day in sports. And when I was growing up, and it wasn't on television. So we would be in our uh, middle school room, or high school room classes, we'd have a radio with a piece of aluminum foil on it, and we're 
you know, talk the teacher into letting us listen to the ACC basketball games on that Friday. I had never been to the ACC tournament. It was something that I wanted to do all my life. Finally, as a student, I was able to go to the Greensboro Coliseum on that big Friday, and I waited outside of the Clemson exit because I knew they would lose, and sure enough, they did. And then a bunch of very rich Ipte uh, fans came out and just were ready to get rid of their tickets at face value. And I got into the ACC tournament. So anyway, there's so many stories I could tell you about sports, but uh, it, you know, it, it is one of those things that is a special part of my life growing up with the teamwork, uh, learning about life and sports, coaching all of my girls in their YWCA, YMCA basketball teams. One of my great loves in life. Uh, my wife told me that I was spending more time drawing up plays for a girls basketball team than I was with my my legal work at the time growing up. And I'll never forget that my youngest daughter, after practice one day, I saw the girls gathered around. They were talking to each other and they obviously had designated my daughter to come out and talk to me. And she said, Dad, we've been talking. We know you are a great coach, but we all ask you, could you not yell so much? <laughs> and, you know, it, it was positive yelling. But anyway, very passionate about it. Long, long story. I could talk all day about it, but it's 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 it, it affects me today. I, lo I love sports. Clearly, I have gotten similar feedback from my children, if that makes you feel any better. over the years. <laughs> yeah, uh, we yeah. have to find out what's the Phil Ford story. The Phil Ford story is that, you know, being governor is not my biggest thing. My biggest thing is that one Friday night in the Rocky Mount High School gym, Northern Nash versus Rocky Mount, I, Roy Cooper, blocked Phil Ford's shot. Phil got 52 points that night, but by God, he did not <laughs> get 54. Now, to tell you the truth, he, we triple teamed him. Uh, he had gotten through the other two. I was the last one. The ball was about shoulder high. I swatted it out of bounds, a block shot in my book because he was doing a little dip shot that he that he usually does. And the great thing about it is when I was running for governor, Phil campaigned with me. And I know that he probably really did not remember this because I was a nobody on the. He was the star. I was a starter and regular player, but but not nothing like Phil Ford. But now he remembers it. And now he uh, he tells the story himself. And we actually recreated the block shot in the backyard of the governor's mansion. <laughs> and uh, so that we did we did it for one of the hurricane relief games that they did at, at uh, the Dean Smith Center. So that was fun. When we recreated the block shot, I slapped it all the way into the bushes and said, get that mess out of here. <laughs> Doing that to the greatest point guard in UNC history. Phil Ford. Now, I know that's debatable, and I know Kenny the Jet and some others would have things to say about that, but I still think Phil Ford, greatest point guard in the history of Carolina basketball, and he had uh, probably a couple of NCAA championships stolen from him for because of injuries and, and other things that, that got them along the way. Well, speaking of Coach Smith and the 1970s, there you were, a Moorhead Scholar at UNC. Uh, how often were you able to take occasional breaks from academics and just enjoy the various Tar Heel athletic teams, in, including men's basketball? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I went to pretty much every home basketball game that, that I possibly could and went to every home football game. Uh, occasionally uh, go to women's field hockey, had some friends on the team, uh, lived in Morrison dorm on South campus. So the, uh, baseball uh, was right right below us there, so I'd take in a baseball game every now and then. Uh, it was it was just so much fun being at Chapel Hill. I was there for seven years because I did undergrad and law school, and college sports are are so fantastic. And you know, it's too bad that we, you know, that that money in college football has really turned things upside down for every college sport, men's and women's. And that's, that's unfortunate because we know that's where the gold is with, 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 with college football. And, you know, it's affecting 
every other school, every other team, all of these players. I can't tell you today what what the answer is, but I, I know it's frustrating. But growing up, that that was fantastic. And uh, seeing Phil pl actually play at, at, at Carolina when I was there, being finally my last year at law school is when the dean finally using Michael Jordan's jump shot and Freddie Brown's errant pass uh, won the national championship, his first one. That was that was quite a sight to behold to be on Franklin Street in 1982 for that number one uh, national championship. That was a lot of fun. I was thinking about that. I happened to be a fellow UNC Law School grad, and I did practice law for a while before getting into this. Before you got smart, yeah, yeah, right. Getting yeah. into this sports craziness, but I was trying to picture. You know, I'm anticipating you preparing for your final series of exams, if I remember correctly, in 1982. Um, and, and so I knew you didn't go to New Orleans to watch that game against Georgetown as the Tar Heels won it all. What was what was Franklin Street like? Do you remember? I mean, were they already burning couches and stuff back then? Yeah, yeah it was it was pretty rowdy. It was it was rowdier than than it should have been. Um, and in fact, I did when I saw an overturned car. I thought it was time for me to head back to, to the <laughs> dorm, but I did. I did uh, enjoy it, and you know, it was it was sort of almost a feeling of relief. I mean, everybody knew how great Dean Smith was, and you know, beyond being a basketball coach, the kind of man that he was, uh, the kind of players that he recruited to the university, uh, the kind of system that he he ran. He really deserved it, and he deserved it before he got it. But I think everybody was just so relieved. And you know one thing I always remember? When he won that game, the first thing he did was turn to John, Coach John Thompson yeah. at Georgetown, who had lost, and he knew the feeling of losing in the Final Four, and he went over and hugged John, John Thompson. I just know he was thinking about that when, when he did it. And that's just kind of guy – he was, and uh, I was glad that I was still a student when that happened. And no, um, I actually have been to a number of Final Fours, and I probably shouldn't tell this because people will tell me never to go. But uh, <laughs> I've never, I've never seen us win a national championship in person. So uh, when 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 I've gone, you know, it's been downhill, except for the 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 one year before last in New Orleans. I did go to that one and see the Carolina Duke semifinal game but also was there for the Kansas bank game and lost my bet to the governor of Kansas and had to send barbecue and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but anyway, it was a, it was a fun weekend. Well, we'll move on to happier things. One yeah. of the cool things about talking with you, and of course we're with North Carolina governor Roy Cooper is that you have truly been a witness and in, in some senses even helped oversee this transition of our state from that beautiful college sports culture that you just described to now we still have that, which is cool, but we have the NFL and the NBA and the NHL, and we just got an MLS soccer franchise, and we have the North Carolina Courage women's team not too far from you and me right now, and we still have NASCAR, and we still have all those universities. Um, from your perspective, how do you describe just that multi-sport, multi-level impact on either our state's economy or culture or however you see it through a, a governor's eyes, but you're also a dad and a husband and a citizen. Well, well, first, the sheer entertainment of that lineup that you just mentioned, along with professional golf uh, that yep. we continue to to draw to our state. And you, it really does go on and on. It is amazing what North Carolina has become, our 10 and a half million people and what we have drawn with uh, the Hornets and the Panthers, Charlotte FC, it, it, the Carolina Hurricanes, it goes on and on. But even if you don't like sports, you have to like the economic impact that these teams bring. I mean, it, you know, they, they become interwoven in the fabric of our cities and, and surrounding counties and really our whole state. And it's just so exciting to have them there, but also the, the economic benefit that it brings our state. You know, we had the stadium series uh, finally getting to see the Hurricanes in Carter-Finley Stadium was one of the great 
experiences yeah. that, that, that I've had. And I remember sitting here in the governor's mansion with Don Waddell and Tom Dundon and Gary Bettman and arguing about how North Carolina should be doing this and having this. And they were a little skeptical at first, but when I saw Bettman uh, in, in Raleigh during the game, he said, this is truly fantastic. There hasn't been a, a stadium series game like this one. And that whole weekend brought in a little more than $20 million in economic impact uh, to the area. So we know these events can play a huge difference. And just look what's happening at PNC Arena yep. and the, the new lease. That's fantastic. I'm so excited about the Hurricanes being here for tw next 20 years. I told Don Waddell the other day that he needed to sign a 20-year contract because we needed to keep him here uh, until then as well. And all of the development that's going to go around there, it, it's going to be a place to be. I know people had talked about moving uh, the arena downtown, and that, that may have worked really well. I think people just decided that the investment was a little much right now, and why not with all of this space? around it and with uh, how it could coordinate with North Carolina State and what that could mean for our area. It's real exciting to see that that happen and blossom like that. And we got to win the Stanley Cup yeah. my last year as governor. We've got <laughs> to do it. Um, I was there for the 2006 Stanley Cup final. I was in with a few guys for – years with season tickets in the South end and loving the, the Carolina hurricanes and really living and dying with the Carolina hurricanes. And that, that, uh, that championship where we stood the entire game, except in between periods was one of the most exciting events, maybe the most exciting event I've ever seen. We got to do it again. And we are poised to be right there uh, with the way they have assembled this team and, I think the best coach in the league and stacked, stacked at the blue line. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a great year this year. I think I'm with you on that. Uh, I am a transplanted guy from Philadelphia myself. So I'm kind of living proof of how our state has just grown in population. Uh, you know, it, it takes leagues wanting to expand for us to get all these pro franchises, but it also takes us having huge populations and I know when I moved here in, in the late 80s, we were not among, I don't think, the top 15 most populous states in the country. In your childhood, we might have been outside the, not, the top 20. I'm not sure about that. But I know now we're eighth or ninth, depending on projections. Right. Do you think we have the only top level, yeah. highest profile sport we don't have, as you know, is Major League Baseball. And the seven or eight states that are more populous than we are all have at least one, yeah. some of them more than one MLB franchise. What's your bottom line? Should I be, can I be optimistic, Governor Cooper? Is it, is it foreseeable yeah. you, in the next you, you decade that that could happen? I think it, I think it is. I, I'm an optimist about sports, but I believe that North Carolinians are some of the greatest sports fans in the world. I remember, uh, you know, I'm, I am a guy who's loyal to my team's, and whether the times are rough, I, I sent, I spent eight years going to Carolina hurricanes games when we didn't even make the playoffs, but I was there and I enjoyed it for what it was. And I remember talking to Tom Dundon when he bought the team and he was just frustrated, you know, how, how can we make the fans come out? How can I said, when, when they'll do the rest, they will show up. And sure enough, sellout after sellout. We have the fans to support Major League Baseball in North Carolina. I think, you know, in the 80s, one of, one of the issues we had, we had a very populous state, but everything was so spread out. We yeah. really didn't have any concentrated, real, highly populated urban areas. And, and now we do, certainly with the Triangle and Charlotte and with uh, the triad continuing to grow and flourish. And, you know, potentially you, you could, you know, we tried a Major League Baseball team in the triad uh, a couple of decades ago and just couldn't get the vote to, to get the public money for a stadium. But I think that all along that crescent and corridor and one of those places, 
could be the birth of a major league baseball team. I, I, I firmly believe look at, look at the way the people love the Durham bulls. And, you know, we have great minor league baseball teams uh, sprinkled throughout the state that are strongly yep. supported at, in these areas. Now, you know, with 162 game regular season, that's 81, uh, 81 home games. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to get in the playoffs, that's a lot, that's a lot of tickets to sell. But I do believe that North Carolina fans are are loyal. We're we're a baseball state too. I mean, you know, back in the day, and I don't know if yep. you've heard this story before, but North Carolina State in Wake Forest used to play every Monday a base big baseball game the Monday after Easter, and it's why in North Carolina we we instead of taking Good Friday, we would take Easter Monday as as the the holiday and i don't know if that was the reason for it but i do know that that game was was a big deal during that period of time so we we are a baseball state uh we just got to find some some owners or an owner who got an extra few billion lying around to to invest and then then we'd be ready to go i think it can be supported back to hockey real quickly you meet a lot of people and go a lot of places, so I will not feel insulted if you don't remember many details. But I once put you and a former assistant, Eric Wilson, in my front row seats at PNC. I, of course I remember that. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I remember you being such a man of integrity that you, you wrote a check to me because I forgot about what I don't even know what that is, campaign finance laws or whatever you were trying. You were just, I was like, Governor Cooper, I've never asked any of my guests to pay me for anything. And you're like, David, I really have to. Uh, but but that isn't even my question. It's funny that you do some, remember some of these details. I wanted you to share as a converted hockey fan, what is it about the in-person? I love it on TV as well. I'm, I'm a lifelong hockey guy. But the way I've converted people is by putting them not only in my seats. I don't always sit down there. That's that's an expensive habit. But what can you share about just that? Because I know you love so many sports, but there is something about hockey that is different in person. So just for your knowledge, Eric Wilson is still with me, and he's now the director of administrative services awesome. in, in, in the governor's office and a big sports fan himself and a big NC State Wolf, Wolfpack guy. Uh, as well. So we chirp about that to each other every once in a while. <laughs> but you know, it may be the biggest delta of any sport, maybe NASCAR, but now with all of the things they've got with NASCAR, it's a lot more fun to watch it on TV. It may be the biggest delta between being there and watching it on TV is, is hockey because the speed, the power, the grace agility, toughness of that sport is just hard to describe. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. I've had an opportunity to talk to these players. They, they are playing an NBA basketball schedule when it's really a football game. It's more like yeah. a football game with all of the hits that they have to take and the exertion it's truly these are amazing athletes uh, and all of them have have this toughness that, you know, something I've seen some of those guys when they get hurt. I mean, I'd be out for two months yeah. and, and they're out for five minutes and they're they're back in in the next period. And it's just real that men, mentality of toughness in hockey, but also having to have the, the speed and the ability to, to do the things that they do with that little puck and that little stick and the coordination and reflexes that it takes to do a tip shot uh, with it coming at you at 95 miles an hour or whatever, you know, sometimes over a hundred, that, that is just extraordinary skill. And the power of the game is almost overwhelming when you're watching it in person. It's, it's one of the greatest sports you can possibly watch in person. I think our time is up, so be as short as you need to be on this. Sports gambling is coming to North Carolina on a, an infinitely wider scale. We've had it in a very narrow way for a long time. If there's anything you just want to remind sports fans about, I guess, how to yeah. be responsible or what to expect next year, um, 
And then you mentioned this earlier, Coach. I've, I mean, Coach Governor. I've uh, followed the ACC since the late '80s, and I'm a little worried about the Atlantic Coast Conference. Yeah, as me too. Florida State and Clemson are making noise because that would impact four schools that we care about around here. Two of them major public universities in your universe. Um, any thoughts on those topics as we thank you for your time? Well, look, I I, I am concerned about the ACC. I do know that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, football is driving this train. We've got to keep our eye on the prize. You know, obviously we want to keep all of our teams in North Carolina together. I understand why they're looking at, why they're looking at the, the West Coast, but that that's kind of a tough way game for all of those other sports. So we got to figure out a way forward, and hopefully we can. What was the other question? That you uh, just the, the, with sports gambling coming in 2020 oh, sports gambling yeah okay yeah. so so you know it's been going on uh for a long time and people are doing it and we might as well get a hold of it let the north carolina taxpayers uh get their piece of this so that we can invest it in infrastructure and education and other things and so that it can be regulated uh, it's also going to be a job creator for our state is going to bring a lot, a lot of jobs, particularly when we, when we have these places where you can place a bet. I think it's going to be more important than ever that we are, we, we want to keep sports pure. We do not want uh, gamblers working to affect the outcome of sporting events. So we got to be vigilant about that. But at the same time, this is something that people consider as part of the entertainment uh, we're going to work hard to to get it in place as soon as we can. The lottery commission is in charge of that. They've hired someone to come in, uh, and I'm you know I'm I may try and place the first bet. What would you think that would be if I placed the first bet? Uh, maybe the Canes to win the cup. You you you're you know you're right on. What a great <laughs> bet that would be, huh? I don't you're know what the odds would be. It would be dependent, obviously, how well they're doing. In, in uh, Jan hopefully we can do it in January. I don't know how soon we can do it, but we we're hoping that we can. But um, you know that might be a I don't know nine to one, maybe eight to one, maybe yeah, even the better. fact that you're already thinking about the numbers is impressive. That's good. well, you know I, I do I, I'm excited about this, and so I've, I've sort of let the cat out of the bag. I haven't said that publicly before, but that's what I'm thinking about is is, is kicking off all of sports gambling in North Carolina with that bet, and then making it happen. That would well, be better. That would be the best. We are excited about our new venture at the North Carolina Sports Network. I know you're a busy person, uh, so double, triple thanks for sitting down with us and just having some fun talking sports. Uh, I appreciate your time. I hope to see you at a Canes game, and maybe I'll place one of those bets with you once it's allowed in January or beyond. Excellent. Go Canes. Thank you, David. Thank you. That's Governor right. Roy Cooper. Uh, a regular guest on our show for many years, but his first visit here on the North Carolina Sports Network. That was a true story, by the way. Uh, while at a Canes game with me years ago, he pulled out a check so he could reimburse me for the fair market value of the tickets, which because they were in the front row, which is, was actually a pretty significant amount of money, told him he was my guest, that I've never asked any of my guests in 25 years of going to the Canes to cover any of the costs of the tickets. It was my treat. But then you reminded me how that stuff works in his world. And I appreciated him uh, just doing the right thing legally and ethically, I guess. I was very impressed by that honesty and integrity, uh, especially given some craziness in the American political world and even on the United States Supreme Court, sadly, uh, especially over this past decade. OK, on the other side, this week in college football. We'll be in Charlotte on Saturday afternoon having fun at FanFest right next to Bank of America Stadium leading up to the South Carolina-North Carolina matchup that night. And on Monday, meaning Labor Day, we'll be in Durham just outside Wallace Wade Stadium in the hours leading up to number nine Clemson's visit to take on Duke, which won nine games last season. Both of these games will be in prominent national TV spotlights, and both of those games are part of our Old North State tailgate and traveling sports circus. Also still to come in today's show, something worth celebrating in the sports world right now, and three things to watch beyond college football and the NFL in the sports world as the calendar turns to September. We'll be back right after this.
as we thank Roy Cooper for his time here on the David Glenn Show and jump back into all sorts of other fun stuff, college and pro, one quick reminder, in sports, we talk a lot about impact players who make a positive difference. And when it comes to our state's economy, the North Carolina pork industry is a true MVP. Each year, the pork industry plays an important role in supporting rural communities across our state. It contributes more than $10 billion a year to the North Carolina economy and supports more than 44,000 jobs. Learn more about their positive impact at ncpork.org. The North Carolina Pork Council, the foundational partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. With that, we move on to one of the in-state highlights of this week's college football schedule, which also includes East Carolina's trip to number two Michigan and Western Carolina visiting Arkansas in early Saturday afternoon games. Nationally, the top matchups include Boise State at number 10 Washington, West Virginia at number seven Penn State, and South Carolina versus North Carolina right here in our backyard in Charlotte on Saturday night. Then number five LSU against Florida State, number eight, in Orlando on Sunday night. Then number nine Clemson at Duke on Monday night, meaning Labor Day night. A lot of national TV spotlight matchups for the Atlantic Coast Conference, which, as we know, needs to prove that it can draw big TV audiences on the gridiron. In different ways, then, the Pirates, the Catamounts, the Tar Heels, and the Blue Devils are four in-state teams this weekend stepping into pretty big spotlights. And UNC, in particular, will have an extra layer or two of national exposure associated with its football festivities. Listen to this. When ESPN's popular traveling circus known as College Game Day, visits Charlotte for its weekly live national broadcast on Saturday morning, it will be visiting the state of North Carolina for only the eighth time in its 31-year history as an on-site, meaning at-the-game production. In fact, only four of our state's schools have ever hosted this gridiron version of Game Day on their own campuses. UNC, more than two decades ago, NC State in 2004, Wake Forest in 2020, and Appalachian State just last year. Carolina's matchup in the Queen City against South Carolina on Saturday night will mark just the second time the Tar Heels have been featured on game day. Almost 26 years after the first time, a 1997 visit by game day right there in Chapel Hill near Keenan Stadium. Remarkably, this is only the third time in more than three decades, that a North Carolina-based school has been central to the inspiration for a visit from game day, which you can see every Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon on ESPN, ESPNU, and the ESPN app. And the Tar Heels have now been responsible for two of those three trips. Three other times, games played in Charlotte involved only out-of-state teams that had game day on hand. Two other times, the main attraction was actually an out-of-state team ranked at or near number one nationally that just happened to be visiting a North Carolina-based opponent. That's how we got game day those times. The only three exceptions to these rules have been, number one, the 1997 Tar Heels under Coach Mack Brown. That was one of the best in school history and one of the best, in my opinion, in state of North Carolina history. The second exception was 2022 App State just last year. That team captured the nation's attention by shocking number six Texas A&M in College Station last September 10th. And then they learned the same night that they'd get to host game day for the Mountaineers game in Boone against Troy the following Saturday. So that was a last minute addition to the game day schedule. And the third exception, of course, is this year's UNC team, part of Mac Brown's second tenure in Chapel Hill and led by the sensational quarterback Drake May, the 2022 ACC Player of the Year a potential 2023 Heisman Trophy candidate, and a likely first-round National Football League draft pick. The national audiences for both Saturday night ABC games, as the Tar Heels will be playing against the Gamecocks, and for game day on those Saturday mornings can be absolutely enormous. Listen to this. Last year, the Notre Dame-Ohio State game that was played in the same time slot and on the same channel as this year's UNC-South Carolina matchup, meaning the first Saturday in September, 7.30 p.m., ABC, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game 
drew 10.5 million viewers by the end of last season. That still ended up being the fifth highest audience, fifth largest audience of college football's entire regular season a year ago, behind only the Michigan-Ohio State game, Tennessee-Georgia, Alabama-Tennessee, and Alabama-Texas. Even a more typical Saturday night game on ABC usually draws an audience of 3 million to 7 million. During Carolina's entire 2022 regular season, keep in mind, only its September 24th home contest against Notre Dame, that drew about 3.5 million for a 3.30 p.m. matchup on ABC. And the Tar Heels' November 25th home game against NC State last year, that drew about 3.6 million for a 3.30 p.m. game on ABC. Only those two ended up or even near that lofty TV audience range. Early last season, when Reese Davis, the host, Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, Pat McAfee, and those guys were in Austin, Texas, setting the stage back then for number one Alabama's matchup against the Longhorns, the final hour of their game day broadcast, not a game, as Alan Iverson might say, not a game, their game day broadcast had an average audience in that last hour of 2.7 million viewers. On a typical college football weekend, only the five to 10 highest profile games draw greater viewership than what that episode of game day drew that Saturday last year. While the state of North Carolina is famous, as we know, for being the center of the college basketball universe, among many other sports accolades, it only rarely steps into the major college football spotlight, where its team's highlights historically have been much less prominent, at least at the FBS level. The college game day archives actually reflect this reality. Listen to this. For example, many individual schools have hosted game day far more often than the entire state of North Carolina. This is kind of embarrassing because we have seven teams playing at the FBS level now. App State, Charlotte, Duke, East Carolina, UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest. College football superpowers such as Ohio State, which has hosted game day 22 times, and Alabama, which has hosted 16 times, they lead that game day all-time list, meaning the Buckeyes alone have hosted almost three times more often than all of the North Carolina cities and schools combined. Longtime UNC or ACC fans, maybe, may remember game day's first visit to the state of North Carolina. It was 1997. Coach Bobby Bowden and number two Florida State were 8-0, and they visited Coach Mack Brown and number five in the rankings, UNC, also 8-0. They were in Chapel Hill for a late season tilt that year. The ACC title was on the line. Remember, there was no championship game format back then, so the regular season determined the champion. And there were national championship implications hanging in the balance. This is a November game between two of the top five teams in the nation, and they're both undefeated at the time. Outside of the college football playoff, its various predecessors, and before that, only the very biggest bowl games, matchups between top five opponents do not happen very often. And that FSU-Carolina game ranked among the most anticipated regular season matchups in the history of ACC football. I was there, and I remember the details well. Side note, in my 36 years covering college sports at this point, that 1997 Carolina football team still ranks as the best North Carolina-based gridiron team that I have seen personally. And that FSU-Carolina game still ranks as the loudest I have ever heard Keenan Stadium. There was an overflow crowd back then of 62,000 plus, and the upper deck literally was vibrating from the noise in that game. The Seminoles did end up celebrating Bobby Bowden's 68th birthday with a 20-3 to victory that night in a game obviously dominated by defense. Florida State, which had joined the ACC, remember, in 1992, improved its all-time conference record at the time to 46 wins and one loss. That one coming in a nail-biter at Virginia in 1995, just a couple of years before that Carolina game. The Tar Heels that season did beat their other 11 opponents by an average score of 31-11, to 11, including a 42-3 to 3 annihilation of Virginia Tech in the Gator Bowl. No UNC team in more than a century of college football, has had a better combination of NFL talent 
There were nine future first or second round picks on that Carolina squad for Mac Brown in 1997. Final record, they ended up 11 and one, the only loss being to that Florida State team. And end of season national ranking, they were number four in the coaches poll, the Tar Heels, and number six in the final AP poll. Despite the disappointing result from Carolina's perspective, the pregame buzz, the Franklin Street festivities, the NFL caliber talent on both teams, actually, and that raucous Keenan Stadium atmosphere all ultimately did live up to the week-long college game day hype. Now UNC, in a different city, Charlotte, and against a less imposing but still high-quality opponent in South Carolina – finally gets another turn in ESPN's famous college football spotlight. Almost 26 years after Carolina's disappointing loss to FSU, it is up to the 2023 Tar Heels to give this year's college game day story a happier ending. To see the full list of ESPN's eight, and there have only been eight, all-time college game day visits to the great state of North Carolina, please check out my recent article just posted at our website and complete with one-on-one interview quotes with guys like Reese Davis and Desmond Howard of the game day crew. It's all at our new website, ncsportsnetwork.com. Five different North Carolina cities have hosted game day. Four of our in-state programs have hosted game day at their own football venues. And to this point, only one in-state school, it was App State just last year, has emerged victorious from a game day matchup played on North Carolina soil. Right after this, we'll be back with something worth celebrating from the sports world and also some things worth watching in the sports world this September as the calendar is turning. And I mean beyond the arrival of college football and the return soon of the NFL's regular season. That is right after this. Okay, moving on. Something worth celebrating in the sports world right now, and also three things worth watching, again, even beyond college football and the NFL, in the sports world as the calendar turns to the month of September. First, something worth celebrating, and I mean in the sports world right now. Baseball's successful 2023 experiment, and I say this as a pitcher myself and somebody who's loved baseball since I was four or five years old. Generally speaking, as most of you would know, baseball has been very slow to change its rules. A lot of people, including many baseball fans, do not like change in their own lives, and they do not like change in their favorite sports either. I get it. Sometimes I think it's unhealthy, but I get it. In 1857, that's more than 160 years ago, baseball officials decided that the three bases and home plate would be separated by 90 feet. Today, guess what? They're still separated by 90 feet. (laughs) In 1893, that's 130 years ago, baseball officials decided that the pitcher's mound, my old friend, would be 60 feet, six inches from home plate. Fast forward more than a century, guess what? It is still 60 feet, six inches from the pitcher's mound to home plate. You get the picture. Baseball finds something it likes, Baseball sticks with it for a long, 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 long time. A lot of baseball's attachment to its history stems from its own success. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? The only sport that was both among the three most popular in America 100 years ago, in 1923, and is still among the three most popular sports in America here in 2023, is baseball. That is it. That is the entire list of one, not football, not basketball, it's baseball and baseball only. In 1923, 100 years ago, the three most popular sports in America were actually baseball, boxing, and horse racing. You got to think way before TV, right? And even in the early stages of radio. Today, the three most popular sports in America are football, basketball, and baseball. Again, baseball, the only one on the century-old list and on today's list, both. If you have that much staying power, it probably makes sense to be careful about changing too much along the way, right? Well, however, just as the pace of society has gotten so much quicker with the internet and smartphones and technology and social media, et cetera, the pace of MLB games actually was getting slower. 
In the early 2000s, the average Major League Baseball game took about two and a half hours. Thanks to a variety of factors, I won't get into all of them right now, but that variety includes a lot more pitching changes and bullpen specialists, etc. The average Major League Baseball game has taken more than three hours for more of the for about the last decade or so now. In college baseball, the Southeastern Conference experimented with a pitch clock as early as 2010, 13 years ago. The NCAA liked it so much that it adopted it for the entire membership the very next year in 2011. But until this season, MLB officials had resisted a pitch clock, at least at the major league level. They finally decided to give it a try this season over the objection of many traditionalists, but with the support of, according to polls, about 65% of self-described MLB fans wanted the pitch clock and even 70% who called themselves quote-unquote avid MLB fans, they wanted the pitch clock. And so far, when you hear these numbers, you will see or hear that it is working like a charm. I saw some great stats this week from Jeff Passan of ESPN. A week ago Friday, on the night of August 25th, there were 4,319 pitches thrown all across Major League Baseball. And for the first time this season, on a day where there was a full slate of major league games, meaning 15 MLB games, there were zero pitch clock violations. That obviously means that the pitchers are getting more comfortable with the new rules. And when you're avoiding both the slow pace and you're avoiding violations of the new rule, now you're really speeding up the game quite a bit. More importantly, and this is a stunning number to me, MLB game times this season are down an average of 25 minutes from that three hours and change I was talking about in the last decade or so to about two hours and 39 minutes per game. That is a much better match for what most baseball fans and even most sports fans want as consumers today. Most importantly, at the same time, and perhaps partly as a result of these faster paced and shorter games, MLB attendance is up almost 10% this season compared to what it was at the same point last season when those new pitch clock rules, of course, were not yet in effect. Congratulations, MLB, on a job well done. Moving on, three things worth watching, and I mean besides the obvious college football and the NFL during this upcoming month of September as the calendar turns. Worth watching in September, number one, the U.S. Open, and I mean tennis, men's and women's. This is already underway as we speak in New York. Men's tennis has been dominated for basically 20 consecutive years by the so-called big three of Roger Federer of Switzerland, Rafael Nadal of Spain, and Novak Djokovic of Serbia. They are the top three guys on the all-time major victories list and if you're old enough, you've been alive to see the three greatest of all time in the men's side of that sport. Djokovic has 23 major singles titles. Nadal has 22. Federer has 20. They are the three greatest of all time. That has made it a little less fun for many American tennis fans who have not seen an American male win a tennis major since guys like Pete Sampras in 2002 and Andy Roddick in 2003. Shout out to his lovely and talented wife, Brooklyn Decker. That is a long, long time ago. Friend of the program, Brooklyn Decker, I should say. But now Federer, 42 years old, is retired. Nadal, 37 years old, has missed almost all of 2023 with injuries. Djokovic is actually 36, but still clearly one of the best in the world. But he's actually the number two seed at the U.S. Open this year behind Carlos Alcaraz, a 20-year-old sensation from Spain who already has won two majors, the U.S. Open last year and Wimbledon earlier this year. A possible Alcaraz-Djokovic final at the U.S. Open would be an absolute sight to behold. They have split their four previous matches to this point with Alcaraz beating Joker in the Wimbledon final earlier this year. Just two weeks ago, though, Joker beat Alcaraz in the final of the Cincinnati Masters in another exciting match. For anyone looking beyond that storyline and looking for American angles at this year's U.S. Open, the best bets on the men's side are number nine seed Taylor Fritz, number 10 Francis Tiafo, number 14 Tommy Paul, and actually number 28 Christopher Eubanks 
hashtag ACC legend, a former Georgia Tech star. And on the women's side, the Americans' best bets include number three seed Jessica Pagula, number six Coco Goff, and number 17 Madison Keys. Moving on, worth watching in September, number two, the FIBA World Cup in men's basketball. This is actually also already underway. The best part still to come. It's underway in the Philippines, Japan, and Indonesia. They are co-hosting, or you'd call that maybe tri-hosting, the World Cup of basketball this year. There is no doubt that the United States is the best basketball country in the world, period. We have by far the best professional league with the NBA, and we're famous for our college basketball, especially March Madness as well. At the Summer Olympics all-time, Team USA has won 16 of the 20 all-time gold medals on the men's side, and the Americans have captured nine of the 12 all-time Olympic gold medals on the women's side. Basically, with few exceptions, when we are at one of these major international basketball events, we're expected to win. The FIBA World Cup, which used to be called the World Championship, and like the Olympics, is played only once every four years, has become the second most important international event in basketball behind only the Olympics. And it actually now serves as a qualifier for the Olympics. To me, the World Cup has become interesting in part to see which Americans agree to play on these international teams, because even with the Olympics, many of the biggest stars have been saying no thanks to their own country much more often than they did decades ago. Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr, one of my favorite guys in all of American sports, is the head coach of Team USA at this year's World Cup. Greg Popovich, Mike Krzyzewski, and others have led these teams as well. His players, meaning Steve Kerr's players this time, include former Duke stars Paolo Bancaro and Kinston, North Carolina's own Brandon Ingram, also a former Blue Devil, plus former UNC star Cameron Johnson, and I don't know if we can call him a former UNC star, but Walker Kessler did play for the Tar Heels before finishing his college career elsewhere. Also an NBAer, also on Team USA at this year's World Cup. Besides the red, white, and blue, Canada, Australia, Spain, and Germany also have really good teams. But we, as usual, are the favorites, even though we don't quite have our A team there at the FIBA World Cup. Worth watching in September, number three. The Ryder Cup in men's golf. This one actually does not begin until the very end of September. So you have a little time to warm yourself up for this idea. The event is in Italy this time, but it's one of the few items remaining on my personal sports bucket list, meaning as a spectator. I, I hold it in such high regard because I think it has evolved and I haven't been there yet, hence the bucket list. I think it has evolved over the years into something that brings as much excitement and drama as anything in the history of golf, and I mean that, including the four major championships. In fact, I think these top golfers these days, who nowadays are almost all multimillionaires, remember, they'll tell you, I think, in many cases, that the team element of the Ryder Cup and the match play aspect of the Ryder Cup, plus representing your country in the case of the American participants, there might not be quite as much magic to representing your continent in the case of the Europeans. But these elements combine to make the Ryder Cup even more nerve-wracking and pressure-packed, at least when it comes to emotion, than just about anything. I think even a multi-million dollar putt in a major championship, when you're playing, in that case, only, in air quotes, for some combination of yourself, your caddy, your family, and really your bank account. The Ryder Cup is just different, and it has not always been that way. There was once, listen to this, a 50-year stretch, 5-0, a 50-year stretch of the Ryder Cup, a half century from 1933, soon after the Ryder Cup was created, all the way through 1983 when it started to hit my radar. The European side during that half century won only a single time over those five decades. And remember, this event is played every two years, so you get plenty of chances. That is an awful lot of American victories, one after another after another for 50 freaking years. Team USA has won only a single Ryder Cup held on European soil at this point in the last 40 years. Backing up, those numbers starting in 1985 after the American dominance for truly a half century. Starting in 85, here's the new record. 
11 wins for the Euros, only six wins for the Americans, and one tie. When you add up these last 40 years, Team USA not only has that losing record overall, they've won only one Road Rider Cup, and that was back in 1993, 30 full years ago. That is a long time, especially for the country that dominated this event for so long. Zach Johnson is the U.S. captain this time, and he does have the number one ranked golfer in the world, Scotty Scheffler, on his side. But guess what? Golfers number two, three, and four, at least in the world rankings, are Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, and Victor Hovland. And I'm not sure I'd argue with any of those three. And they, of course, will be representing the European side. Americans Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Max Homa, Brian Harmon, and Wyndham Clark are also top 10 in the world rankings. Although they're not quite viewed in the same vein as guys like Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson in their prime when they were representing Team USA over the years. And Clark, Harmon, and Homa will be playing in the Ryder Cup for the first time. With his captain's picks, Johnson recently selected Ryder Cup veterans Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, which was interesting because he's now on the rival Live Golf Tour, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, and the struggling of late but really good in both Ryder Cups and President's Cups of the past, Justin Thomas, plus first-timer Sam Burns, was also a captain's pick. Of the Americans' eight experienced Ryder Cup golfers, and this sounds to say, given their losing record of late, all but Fowler have personal winning records in the Ryder Cup event. That sounds like a nice starting point, as the Americans, longtime favorites, turned perhaps unlikely underdogs, try to make a different kind of Ryder Cup history in late September and early October of this year. As we come down the stretch on today's program, a quick note about our brand new Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus, which already has had two stops in Cary and Wrightsville Beach and actually has two more over this Labor Day weekend in Charlotte and then Durham. Last Saturday at Jimmy's Bar in Wrightsville Beach, and shout out to Jimmy Galise, his lovely and talented wife, Keaton, his MC and sound guy, Jared, and everyone else from his awesome crew. We had our on-site college football preview show posted on our YouTube channel with Chris Edwards, Mike Waddell, me, and a very special guest in former UNC star and longtime NFL kicker, Connor Barth, a very popular guy there in Wilmington and everywhere else, and a guy who, remember, was a high school star right there in Wilmington before going on to that great stuff in the college and pro ranks. We also hung around for an absolutely incredible dinner and delicious red wine. I'm only speaking for myself in that case at their King Neptune restaurant right there next door in Wrightsville Beach after the show we did at Jimmy's. Over this extended Labor Day weekend, we're going to be at two of the biggest college football games in the entire country, including that South Carolina-North Carolina matchup at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte on Saturday night, and then number nine Clemson's visit to Duke on Labor Day night. In mid-September, we're going to celebrate NC Central's visit to North Carolina A&T on September 9th for the annual Aggie Eagle Classic, and then we'll be a part of East Carolina's trip up the mountain to visit Appalachian State on September 16th. For more details on all of these tour stops and the rest of our 2023 schedule, which truly is taking us from the beach to the mountains and most other places you'd like to visit or maybe watch a college football game in between, please follow us on Twitter. The Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus has its own handle on Twitter slash X at ONS Tailgate. That's for Old North State, at ONS Tailgate on Twitter. You can also find these tailgate tour details at our website, ncsportsnetwork.com. Our last thing is our weekly reminder. Please subscribe to our official YouTube channel. Don't make me beg. We have thousands of subscribers uh, to our podcast. We have tens of thousands of subscribers uh, on social media and LinkedIn and elsewhere. We want and need more subscribers at our YouTube channel. And one cool thing besides it being free and giving you lots of cool content for free, remember there are prizes if you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Whether you're subscriber number one or number 1,000, it doesn't matter. When we hit these various thresholds, you're eligible to win one of these grand prizes. 
There are smaller prizes in between where I send you a David Glenn Show t-shirt for free, or I make one of those cameo style phone calls to someone you love for free. Someone's been a listener or a viewer of my stuff for a long time. Again, cameo charges. I do not charge my YouTube channel subscribers for that kind of stuff. Just drop me an email, davidglennshow at gmail.com if you're interested in the cameo stuff. Uh, or maybe I'll get you a DG Show t-shirt. But the bigger prizes come when we hit 750 YouTube channel subscribers or, or a little bit later, 1,000 YouTube channel subscribers. Those prizes include free concert tickets. We've already taken two viewers to a Michael Franti concert right there in Wilmington. Free rounds of golf with or without me. Free dinners at some of North Carolina's best restaurants, including King Neptune at Wrightsville Beach. Again, that's with or without me. We're going to be randomly drawing new winners at those 750 and 1,000 subscriber thresholds, and we're almost at 750, so now would be a great time for you to subscribe. You might win right after subscribing. We shall see. Please subscribe today if you have not done so already. And remember, whether you're subscriber one or 1,000, you remain eligible for all of these prizes we're describing, plus at future thresholds down the road as long as you remain a subscriber. That'll do it for today's edition of the program. The David Glenn Show is an exclusive production of the North Carolina Sports Network. Executive producer, Mike Waddell. Technical director, J.R. Quitman. The founding partner of NCSN is the North Carolina Pork Council. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for spending some time with us today on the David Glenn Show and the North Carolina Sports Network. We look forward to seeing you again, maybe even in Charlotte on Saturday or Durham on Monday night. Either way, we also look forward to seeing you and legendary UNC coach Roy Williams, Carolina Panthers legend Julius Peppers, Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon, and so many of our other great guests in these weeks to come right here on the North Carolina Sports Network. Thanks for being with us again, everybody. Have a great week and a wonderful Labor Day weekend. We'll see you next time. 